Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the DC Sports Brain Trust. My name is Varun. I'm your host and moderator, joined, as always, by three of my good friends, the best damn sports analysts around, Chris, Nick, and Rahul. Gentlemen, how's it going in the world of DC sports this week? No more playoffs. It's <laughs> unfortunate and depressing, but it could be worse. Yeah, I mean, The only DC sports team playing right now is the Capitals. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. It's going through their COVID problems. Yep, kind of, kind of sucks. But you know what? We here at the DC Sports Brain Trust are not deterred by this news. We will continue on providing the best analysis of DC sports in the DC area. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go ahead and kick things off by talking, like you all said, about the only team that is only DC sports team that is currently playing games right now. It is the Washington Capitals. For those of you that do not know, the NHL season started last week, and, well, the Caps are out in full swing. Uh, unfortunately, though, they did just lose yesterday to uh, the Penguins 4-3 in an overtime shootout. Um, some things coming out of that game, penalty-wise, it was just incredibly sloppy, um, and they continue their woes of continuing to you know get scored on in the first 30 seconds of the game, so that isn't... That isn't fun. We saw we saw a debut from one Daniel Sprong. He was on the ice for the first time and was just kind of there. Uh, in addition to that, uh, kind of a trend in this game, but we saw a lower volume of shots on goal than expected from uh, what you usually expect from this Capitals team. So I just want to quickly start things off. Uh, Chris, start with you on this one. Going with go, seeing how the Capitals have progressed this season so far, and just their beginning, where they dominate the Sabers, uh, lost in an overtime shootout to the Penguins. Um, are you worried at this point about the Capitals? Is it just them trying to get their trying to get the legs in in on under them with the new with uh, new head coach and Peter Laviolette, as well as uh, new 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 players joining the team? Um, what's what's your expectation for the Caps right now? I mean, I'd say it was a pretty, like, solid week all around. I mean, they got five of the six possible points that they could have grabbed. It's a pretty solid start to the season. If they get that much that's throughout the season, they'll definitely have a playoff spot. So, you know, I'm happy with the results. The, uh, the path to the results have been a little bit sloppy. They've definitely not taken enough shots, that's for sure. And uh, that'll probably not... They probably won't s- score as much as the season goes on. There are better teams than the Sabres. Uh, the Penguins, they barely, they probably should have beaten the Penguins as well. Um, but unfortunately, they dropped that one. Uh, that second period during that game was terrible. And that's basically why they lost that game in the end. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's just, yeah, second half wasn't great for, or at least the couple next, the second half of the game, I guess, wasn't that great for them. But, the second half? There's no half. Second time. half. I said second half. My bad. I'm still in football mode. Uh, I meant to say like the like like third period of, of Caps games. At least at least for this Penguins game wasn't wasn't too great. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of season left to be played. But Nick, want to get your thoughts too? Uh, do you agree with Chris's analysis? Are you? Do you have anything a little bit different you want to offer your perspective on? What are your thoughts on the Caps so far? Um, yeah, no, I agree with what he said. I think that in terms of standings, we're 2-0-1. It's 
can't get much better than that. I think we're right where we need to be. Um, so the playoff situation is a little different this year. So there are four divisions, um, and we're in the East division. And the top four teams of each division are going to the playoffs. We're number one in the division right now. I think that we are only playing games within the division the whole regular season. And then in the playoffs, it's like you play all the other divisions, um, depending on how the tournament shakes out. So that's kind of interesting. Um, So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, Pittsburgh's in the division, Philly, the Rangers, the Islanders. Tough division. Um, Yeah, it's a very, very tough division. Uh, Buffalo, New Jersey. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll have our work cut out for us uh, to, you know, get in the top four in the division. Uh, I think the big concern right now is Sam Sonov, but it is – it's a little early to flash the 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 panic sign, I guess you could say. I'm not too panic. concerned about yeah, I'm not too concerned about him yet, but he is giving up a lot of goals. Um and at the same time, I don't want to say Vanacek is for real yet because he had one really, really good game, but he's only had one game. So I think I think they're both gonna maybe even out. In the next couple weeks here, I think Vanacek will show a little rust or a little, you know, he'll show some inexperience. And I think uh, Samsonov will tighten up. Um, but hopefully, hopefully they go back and forth and we see uh, what these guys are made of. I think uh, it's going to be very important that the both of them are good this year. Um, I don't think this is strictly Samsonov's job. I think this is a back and forth with Vanacek. And we're going to see who's good. We're going to go back and forth. And then we may ride the hot hand when the playoffs come. Yeah, I mean, it's good to have uh, inner team um, competition, essentially, for the starting role. Yeah. What do you think, Rahal? I agree. Um, I think uh, as a wrap-up for how the Caps have started is that they've won games against teams they should have because the Sabres are going to be pretty terrible this year. I think all of us agree on that. There's no real surprise, and the Pens are at least going to be okay. So they're going to trade back and forth between the Pens, and they're going to beat, obviously, terrible opponents to get, and that's their path to the playoffs. Um, on a individual player-wise, I thought um, what Oshi, uh, what Ovi has demonstrated has been what they've demonstrated in the past. Also, along with Backstrom, and we don't really have anything to fear on that front. Um, but, you know, kind of going forward, and hopefully Sprong actually does debut more uh, of his talent, and we don't have a player that we just regret having signed onto this roster. I mean, it's, it's also really fucking much. early. This is just his debut. We're also not going to get that much out of Sprong. You don't like, think so? I mean, it would be the, like, okay, but he doesn't. He didn't play that much with his previous teams either. He pretty much averaged last season 14 minutes and the season before 13 minutes. So it's not like he's like a superstar uh, player for the team. I think that he will get more than like the eight minutes he was on the ice uh, for the, that first game. But apparently uh, Laviolette said that, that was no fault of his. It was more of Tom Mosin had the hot hand and he wanted to stick with him um, and get him on the ice more. Well, I guess when Sprong comes out and has six goals next game, we're all going to be singing his praises. 
He's a third liner, man. Like <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was so third liner here. I fully expect third liners to get six goals within the eight <laughs> minutes that they get to play. Um but all right. Uh so let's so let's I wanna kind of run through some early hot takes as you as as is uh, as is the norm here at the DC Sports Brain Trust, um, I know Nick touched on it earlier, and he says not to uh, not to get too excited yet. But Vanacek did have what thirty saves in uh, in in that in that game in his NHL debut. Like Thirty five of thirty six were saves. It was about a ninety six point eight percent save percentage, which it's one game, but it's really really good. Is that? So I guess my question then is: is it is it relatively normal for for goalies who've never played in the NHL before to have this like insane first impression, or is it more so that they kind of middle and then eventually they get they get hot? I mean, I wouldn't say that that's normal. I mean, thirty saves is thirty saves. <laughs> like that's impressive, no matter how you look at it. Um, but I wouldn't say it's normal for a a rookie goalie to come out and that be his first performance. I'm sure there's been a lot of goalies that give up a crap ton of goals and then you know, peter out. Oh yeah, I think most I think most guys go in there and they're just lost and then it starts to build up and then all of a sudden you've got like three goals scored against you in like a five minute period. Um, and yeah, you are right. It is 30 saves out of 31 shots, which is 96.8. Um, it's, it's a phenomenal debut. Um, it, so it was against Buffalo, and Buffalo's probably not real good. But they've got some good offensive weapons. I mean, they scored four goals against Samsonov. So yeah, that's true. yeah. We'll yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So, um, but you know, the fact that he didn't crater and give up like a boatload of goals and have to be pulled because it just the game was too fast for him, um, I think is a really good sign. Yeah, yeah. he 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 looked comfortable out there. Like he didn't, like he didn't. It didn't seem like he had like a deer in headlights kind of look. Like he he came out ready ready to play hockey. And, like Jakub uh, Vrana always looks. Yeah, and the other thing is Vanacek <laughs> is actually older than Samsonov. Uh, Vanacek's twenty five, and Samsonov is twenty three. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, that the argument could be there that Vanacek's more experienced, just not in the NHL. It's more in the AHL, but. Um, so, so there was, so there's a quote that uh, Vanacek had uh, in in the media session after that game. Uh, the quote: "I was a little bit nervous the first couple of minutes, but when they shot, but when they shoot the three shots early, I just feeling better and better. When they had their power plays, I was feeling good." So, wow, quality quote. Yeah, yeah this is this is hey man, this is directly from the media session. Uh, just, I guess, just kind of goes into their kind of goes into what his mindset was going into that game, and uh, well, I mean, he did say he was feeling nervous. He did seem at ease as the game went on. So I would be surprised if he wasn't nervous um, to start the game. Like it's your first game in the NHL as a goalie. If you're not nervous, something's wrong with you. I think. Yeah, at that point, you 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 don't you lack any sort of emotional uh, connection with anything yeah. at that point. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the good part is, yeah, he, he settles down as the game goes on and, you know, yeah. and you know, Holpe was like, 
Holpe was like 21 years old when he made his debut at the Caps. And think about where he is now and how long it took for him to really uh, solidify his game. I mean, he was he, he always showed potential when like he came in at a young age, but you know he got a few years of experience. And, and then he ended up playing with us for like 10 years because I think he's 31 now. So he, you know, he was pretty young coming in. And I think that, um, you know, Samsonov's pretty young, 23, played a year with us. And uh, Vanacek's a little older, which I think is probably good, um, probably considering the fact that the moment's not too big for him. Um, so, you know, I think it'll be good this season to go back and forth between them and let them both get playing time. That'll be really good for both of them, and I think it'll be good for us too as a team. Yeah, for sure. All right, so well, that well, this goalie talk brings you to my second point. So, talking about Samsonov, uh, his save percentage so far around eighty, a little under eighty-seven percent. Seven goals on fifty-three total shots. Um, definitely not what you want to see out of a goalie. Is it just initial first season nerves? Is it just him now getting thrust into the spotlight that Braden Holpe had? And now that he's in Vancouver, Samsonov and Vanacek both are now stepping up and taking over that that that, that starting role. Um, could it just be that Samsonov is having is having nerve troubles? Is it just early early season rust? I don't uh, think so. You know I, what 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 kind of boils this down? I, obviously, it is early, but. There's still I, some some form of some form of perspective that can be attained here with, with in in accordance with Samsonov's play. I didn't see his second start, um, so I can't really speak for that. But the first start where he gave up what like four goals, um, mm-hmm. I remember watching some of the analysis afterwards, and Alan May said that a couple of those goals were just like weird bounces that weren't really his fault. Like he didn't do anything wrong. It just it kind of just was unfortunate and like bad luck and that happens sometimes. So I think, I think it's too early to say that he's struggling or that he's rusty or anything like that. Um, I think he needs a few more games before we know if he's struggling. Um, But right now I think I wouldn't say there's any concern with him right now. All right. Rahul, haven't heard from you in a little bit and know how much you, you want to, you want to deliver your thoughts on this. What do you think about the play so far? Uh, in general, I don't really have any thoughts that are opposite. I mean, we're three games in, where there's nothing really to establish a pattern or really even dive into how Laviolette coaches this team. Um, but I will note that in this last game, the Caps have been caught up, like, I think seven penalties over, like, some minor dumb bullshit. And that's kind of carried over a little bit since Reardon. Uh, and that kind of needs to be curled at. I'm not sure if Laviolette is the coach to get really dive down on the team on penalties like that uh but we kind of have to that will cost us in big games and that's my take on that all right hot hot takes from the best sports analysts all right moving down the list of uh early early takes uh let's talk about our team captain our goat our one of our gods of dc sports mr alexander ovechkin uh (laughs) Isn't really showing any signs of slowing down. He's 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 still out there kicking it. He's still he's still scoring. He's still looking like the veteran leader that we that we know and that we love. So, want to get your all thoughts, Nick? I'll start with you this time. 
Ovi, what are your thoughts on him so far? Yeah, he looks great. Um, that top line that uh, LaViolette was experimenting with, it was uh, Ovi, Backstrom, and gosh, who was the other guy on the top line? I'm already blanking. Uh, Ovi, Backstrom, and TJ Oshie. Uh, that was a really good line. <laughs> it's bad. Just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they normally have Oshi playing on the second line with Kuznetsov. Um and and Tom you know, Wilson on the first. Yeah, Tom Wilson on the first. Um so I don't know. I think that was a good line. Uh Obi was getting some assists, finally got his first goal. But the finally got his first goal line. in game number two. Um so yeah, Obi's not slowing down. Get that man an extension. I mean, it's, it's the first week of the season. We'll see, like, as the workload goes on. Hope, like, hopefully he doesn't slow down, but it is a long season, and they're going to have to – it'll be an interesting uh, conversation to have for later is with this workload and how many games they're playing in the season. Will Ovi and Backstrom and all these older guys be able to keep up the pace? Well, I mean, with Backstrom, there really is no way out of it. We've already signed him to a long extension, and – I don't really think he's tradable at this point. Well, I don't know why you would. I'm, I'm not saying that. Like, I'm saying, yeah, we should extend Ovi, but it'll be interesting how the team uh, juggles the the older players with the how much. We already have seen that a little bit with Tara. Um, so it'll it'll be super interesting as the season winds down and when we get closer to the playoffs to see if we start to see like some of these guys sit for some of the games i mean obviously unless they're in like a close race if they've already made it i think we'll start to see like Obi get less minutes and backstrom get some less minutes and all those guys get less that being said chara is much older than both Ovi and backstrom yeah i know but like either way they are playing a lot of games in a much shorter amount of time than normal um obviously not as many games but the season's also a lot longer normally like day wise so they usually get like a day or two in between games and now they're playing a lot a lot of back-to-back games which is fairly rare um in a normal nhl season like you have maybe like seven or eight times a year that you've had back-to-back uh games this year they're doing them like all the time so so this, so this, so this actually brings up a question I have. Why aren't we getting in more fights? Like we have Tom Wilson, we have we have Chara. I figured we would start to get in more fights. I'm 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 shocked we haven't been able to do that yet. I think season is so young. That okay. too, but I think the NHL is also slanting towards less fights in general. I do not think that's true. That, there was like a year to year breakdown. I'll try and find that article, but it was just like the amount of fights that are happening are like different in playoff versus regular season and the regular season fights are going down. Oh, well, yeah, but you know, that might be true, but that's probably just because players want to stay healthy. Yeah, I think it's early. And also Brendan Dillon get it, did get into a fight in the very first game. So it's not like we're not seeing fights. We've seen one fight in three games, I think. Um, like one significant fight um, where the gloves are dropped. So, I mean, and they also know. were playing against the Sabres, which, you know, the Sabres aren't really a rival of the Caps, I'd say. 
outside of the fact that they're going to be in the same division this year. Damn. Damn. I brought that up as a joke, and we're actually doing a fucking analysis on this. <laughs> Fights and hockey, and like, is it going to be more of a finesse sport with less fights? And it's just like it's slowly going down, but not. It's not like a drastic drop in the number of fights per year. I was watching the. Well, I'm sure we'll see less this year just because of COVID. I bet we'll see just naturally less. Um, if you want to start a fight, you have to put a mask on. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, guys. Let's get the N95s. <laughs> Throw the N95s on and they start beating the shit out of each other. You have to wear that Andy Reid mask with the, <laughs> the one that you have to, like, breathe <laughs> oh, and it fucks up your mission. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, the players almost already wear the face shield. <laughs> with the, uh, the visors. I... So, I I, maybe I'm a bad person, but I always laugh whenever I see someone with a face shield outside. Oh, yeah. Well, they look ridiculous. They look so dumb. Which is why I'm getting one. A person the other day at work, a little bit off topic here, but, you know, um, that had, like, an upside-down kind of invisible face shield. But so why? It was like a mask, but plastic, so... I guess they could see her makeup. I, I don't know. It was so weird. It was. It kind of looked like you know those like braces, like those that helmet or not helmet, but like under the mouth thing that you see some people have when they're younger to fix their teeth. It kind of was like that. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. All right. Back on. Society's going to devolve into people wearing fishbowl helmets. It's a good thing the vaccine came when it did. All right, back to talking about hockey fights. Um, well, actually, no. Moving down. Uh, I so one of the things that one of the stats is kind of interesting. Again, three games. Probably again, still too early to tell. But uh, the team is currently twenty fifth in the NHL when it comes to shots on goal. Uh, is that just a product of their play so far? Are they just not able to take the shots that they need to? What could be driving that? I mean, I hope it's just beginning of the season and they're just getting it in, into it, ramping it up. Hopefully they start to take more shots because, you know, as the saying goes, if you just put the puck on net, good things will happen. Yeah, Nick was actually bringing this up, but, like, the puck handling... Uh, hasn't been that great, and that could contribute to less shots and goal, just not being able to handle it well. What do you think about that, Nick? Yeah, you know, there were some pockets where we were seeing some of what we saw last year with the puck handling just being a disaster. Um, that was one of the huge issues with uh, last year's team. Um, I think we were able to get away with it for a while because Ovi was just on fire, and we were – our offensive output was just insanity. But by the time that um, the offense really slowed down and then we came out of the, we came into the bubble and just never had that offense that um, that puck handling was just terrible. And uh, that was something that really needed to be corrected um, going into this year. I think it's still early. I haven't seen it be like a constant problem, but I do think that's part of the problem in terms of those two games where we gave up a lot of goals um, so it's not all on Samsonov. There has to be better puck handling. Um, there was one play in particular I remember where there was a puck that went right through Tom Wilson's, right in between his legs, and like it's in your own zone. So it's like you need to get the puck out of there, and it was just 
like it went right in between his legs. And then you know, not himself had poor puck handling that led to a led to a goal. Yeah. Behind the net, he tried to pass it out to I think I want to say Oshi, but the other team uh, intercepted it. Yep. Penguins intercepted it. That was during that abysmal second period the other day. That's probably like the number one uh, issue that the team needs to get fixed because you've got the offense, and I mean, if you if you take care of the puck, you're going to score goals. It, considering the people that we have on our team, um, so that's just inexcusable. You cannot keep turning the puck over like that and just trying to make up for it with, uh, you know, high offense. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why. LaViolette was hired uh, was to get that fixed, so hopefully they get it fixed. I mean, it would take some time, too. It's not like it's... Yeah, it's they're, they're fresh in the season, and there's limited practice, too, so I think these things are going to have to take some time. Well, good, good, good stuff all around. One last thing I do want to cover before uh, we move on. Um, there's some currently some trade speculation happening around the NHL. Um, uh, Pierre... Pierre Dubois. Uh, the hey, you got it right. Holy shit! <laughs> I thought you wouldn't. I thought you were gonna say Dubois. No, that's what I would have done. <laughs> hey, I listen. Listen, listen. I know how Dubois is sounds. I'm cultured somewhat. Um, he was playing against the Capitals last year, and you heard Dubois a lot because he was one of their stars. But he did request a trade. Recently, I don't expect him to come to the Capitals, um, but he would be a nice addition. But they'd have to trade away a pretty good prospect and more. So I, I wouldn't expect it. Well, what do you guys think, Nick Rahul? Do you guys think that Pierre Dubois should uh, could come to the Caps or no? Well, if we're going to lose Oshi in a year due to the expansion draft, does that make him more tradable? Because, Oshie? yeah. No, I don't think so. You don't think he like becomes like, oh, we're not, we're going to lose him anyway in a year. You don't think well, like... They're just going to lose somebody else instead. <laughs> I mean, it may not be Oshi. There are other people that it could be. Um, yeah. And- Brendan Dillon, it could be, it could be Lars Eller. Um, it really Bob- I think it could be Lars Eller, but I really doubt it's going to be Dylan that the Seattle is going to pick up. Dylan is unlikely because I, I think we would protect him, and we just you know we just signed him to a big deal. And yeah, there's going to be that the Capitals are going to protect uh, Oshi simply because of how appealing he would be to the Kraken. Um, so we'll see. I have to really look – I have to dig into that some more and really look at, you know, how many people you can protect and who's on a roster. You can protect six year. forwards I think, okay. or six skaters and one goalie, I believe. Capitals. I skaters, that includes forwards and defensemen. Forwards and defensemen. It might be – what is it? I, I'm going to look up the rule. Yeah. yeah, but, like, I think with protecting goalies, that doesn't even really matter to us because I don't think – the Kraken really have their choice at who they can pick as goalie, and I don't think – Samsonov or yeah, I mean I doubt they're gonna take unless both of them unless both of them really show up this year and just play out of their minds. I would imagine that they'll take some an older goalie and then they might take one of the goalies if they do well enough. Um, But I imagine their starter will be an older, more established goalie that's 
sitting behind. What they should have allowed in that case, because of that scenario, is allow six skaters, one goalie, or just seven skaters. I mean, yeah. maybe we're gonna know. we're gonna lose somebody decent or really good. Yeah. I mean, that's we just have a good team, and it, it's inevitable. Especially that's the, point of the expansion draft. Yeah, yeah, it's like when they lost Nate Schmidt to the Vegas Golden Knights. Nate Schmidt was pretty good, but you're going to lose somebody. You can always try to trade back or trade for the player back, which is something that we see. Um, saw a lot of, or I think we're going to see a lot of, and I think teams are also going to be a lot smarter um, with the expansion draft because the Vegas Golden Knights just kicked everyone's ass essentially in the uh, expansion draft, but looks like uh, seven seven forwards and three defensemen can be saved. Four forwards, four defensemen. Uh, or, so eight skaters and one goal. Yeah, it's eight skaters and one goaltender. I'm reading that, or it can be, it can be that, or it can be seven forwards and three defensemen for ten players, or it can be. So I guess you can make the decision between protecting a goalie or protecting two extra skaters. Yeah. Well, in our case, it might be worth protecting the two skaters, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, that depends. It depends if, on if, if one of our Vanacek, goalies is really good. If Vanacek and Samsonov are meh, then yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But if one of them balls out this year, like you if, Vanacek, if, if Samsonov returns back to what he was last year or Vanacek is legit, then... Yeah, yeah if either one of them good. has a pretty good season where they're like a top 15 goalie, you got to protect them. Yeah. Well, and there is the speculation that we'll be looking forward to as the season progresses with the Caps. Yeah, and the other thing that will be interesting about that is Vrana is not going to be under contract next year, so would be he's going to have a – Vrana? Uh, I, I wouldn't. I think Vrana is – I think Vrana's got a future here. I think they're. I just, I know. I just, I don't like Vrana. <laughs> I just feel like he messes up in big spots way too often. True. Um, and in the playoffs, he's been nothing the last two years. He's well, been yeah, quiet. that's what I mean. But big so is Kuznetsov, and so have other guys. Um, yeah, I mean that's the other, uh, the other reason they brought in Laviolette is yeah. to get these younger guys to crack down. Vrana and Kuznetsov were. Especially, and probably Tom Wilson too, to an extent. I mean, Tom Wilson's been fine. He's been fine, but you know, in the playoffs, not so much. But he's most been good in the playoffs, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm thinking of someone else. I don't know. But, but yeah, well, we'll see. We shall. Best of luck to the Caps. They continue their season. All right, moving on. We're going to talk about football here. I know that the season just ended for the Washington football team, but there is still some. Some news to come out, some of the big uh, off-season news that's happening right now. One of the big things, even though it's not the full off-season yet for every team. Um, one of the biggest things coming to the table is the hunt for a new GM. The Washington football team did not have a GM this, this season, and, well, they need a new GM. But there are some names on the table that they're interviewing. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Rahul has the entire breakdown and files on each of these guys. Um, but grocery store they all frequent yep he knows he knows is a kroger's guy 
<laughs> all right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start to run down the list and then get your all's perspective as to which of these guys would probably make the best, would be the best fit for the Washington football team. So they're interviewing the Falcons director of football operations, Nick Polk, who is a JMU grad. Let's go. Love that. Uh, Hire him right now. Yep. And he was the former director of football operations for NFL Europe. So very qualified guy there. Um, Another guy is the Chargers director of player personnel, Jojo Wooden. Uh, They've been, when it comes to draft picks, the Chargers have been one of the best. And he's uh, he's a big reason for it. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to see if the Washington football team likes him. Uh, we have, internally, the own Washington football team director, pro scouting, Eric Stokes. Uh, he's also being considered. Uh, he's definitely being interviewed. Um, and they also interviewed the Titans director, Ryan Cowden, as well as the 49ers VP, Martin Mayhew. So a lot of names come to mind, or rather, you see... Uh, on the docket when it comes to finding a new GM. But uh, Rahul, will start with you. Which of these guys do you think would make the best fit on the Washington football team? Well, first of all, I would like to thank God that we're not interviewing fucking Marty Herney. I fucking hate Marty Herney as a candidate. He has gone and become... he. I don't know anyone who could have done what he did, like, was a GM, stepped out of GM, then somehow the same team hired him back as GM, and then he fucked it, and then they just, you know, they just fired him again. Like, it's <laughs> incredible. I don't want him, and I'm glad that we're not even trying to interview him. One- bro, wait, hold on, bro. How, how closely did you hold that to your chest before... <laughs> I mean, I brought it up last time we recorded, and I just want to be more thankful for it that this was a real concern of mine because Rivera wanted yeah, in the FO that he could be like his buddy buddy and basically won't throw him under the bus. So, yeah, just that, just that, just that, just that thought process is funny. So, Rahul, what do you guys think? What do you think about these candidates that are watching football teams interviewing? I just want to say, fuck Marty Herney. <laughs> Fuck Marty Herney. I mean, we still there's some candidates here that look good, and some that are kind of a, a question mark. Like, why are we even interviewing Martin Mayhew, who was GM as part of those really terrible Lions teams? Um, Brian Cowden is also coming off of a fucking miserable 2020 Titans draft. Like, none of his draft picks except the second rounder actually did something in the NFL. It was really horrific. So. It's like we have some other – and some candidates are pretty good, like JoJo Wooden. Uh, the Chargers have always been good drafters, like year to year. They just haven't been getting that regular season success because they have really conserved coaches or something happens to their quarterback. It's always one or the other. And you have Nick Polk, who's kind of like up and down with the Falcons. And, yeah, well, I think that's also more of a fault of their uh, previous coach, Dan Quinn. Um, and you also have our guy, Eric Stokes, who was a uh, Panthers holdover. Rivera actually brought him over for a different role as uh, director of pro scouting. And you'll know that this year, our free agent searches and acquisitions have been probably the best I've ever seen. Um, so that could really be some credence to give Eric Stokes uh, more recognition and probably more sway he would have in this GM search. Um, and we could hire, um, and just as a by note, hiring uh, JoJo Wooden would give the Chargers uh, extra draft picks as part of the new rules regarding GM searches. 
uh, and minority selections. Now, here's a question: If uh, if we promoted Eric Stokes, would we give ourselves no. two third round picks? It has to be from a separate team, uh, and that separate team would get the draft picks, and the team that hired that minority would not get any draft picks or anything. I don't, I don't get that. that. I think it's just towards getting more uh, minorities interviewed um, rather than hired per se um, because like the previous uh, Rooney rule wasn't really getting the job done in that regard this does help team it promotes teams to hire within minority, minority candidates to get hired somewhere yeah, else it, it gives them incentive to make them coordinators and right. directors and VPs I, I mean I get that I, I, I do get that um I I don't know where to start. Um, Eric Stokes. Well, here's the thing about Eric Stokes is that he wasn't hired until like June or July, so it was well after the free agency mm-hmm. period for us. So I don't think he really played a role in like bringing those guys in. You know, we had some good free agents like uh, Logan Thomas, Cornelius Lucas did a good job at left tackle. You know, a good enough job. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Ronald Darby. Um, there were, there were a lot of very, very solid contributors from the free agent class. And I think that would give Kyle Smith a lot of, you know, credit and it would give reason for him to be considered. I don't know why he's not being considered, but I'm also not like complaining too much about it. I mean, like, I know like the people on Twitter are just horrified at the fact that Kyle Smith is not being interviewed for GM, but he also has risen up the ranks pretty quickly. Um, there are probably some things where he's a little more inexperienced in. You know, he comes from, from a scouting background. Uh, he knows how to evaluate players, and he's obviously done that fairly well. But there are other things that you need to have experience in to be a GM. You need to kind of understand um, what your philosophy is to building a team, what are the areas that you need to target, um, and, you know, how – are you going to draft players based on your coaching philosophies that you have in the building? So there's some other things that Kyle may not just be ready to, he just may not be ready in those areas. And so my hope is that Kyle doesn't go anywhere and that he continues in his current role, but it's very, very possible that if somebody else is hired above him, then Kyle's going to be gone like at the end of the draft. Um, So, you know, that's a possibility and, at the end of the day, my hope is that they just they they bring somebody on that's um, that's experienced that has earned it, you know, because we've never had a real GM. A yeah, GM matter. We, well, you know, Scott, there was a stint with Scott. We had Scott, but you know, Scott was kind of a he was kind of an asterisk, you know. I mean, he was good for a year. He had a good draft, and then a disastrous draft, and he had the personal issues. But other than that, which I don't even count, we've never had a GM. We've never had a real GM. Vinny Serrato is not a real GM. Bruce <laughs> Allen is not a real, real GM. They Man. were yes men. And, and no, just because the fact that uh, Ron Rivera has previously worked with Ryan Cowden and Eric Stokes, that does not mean they're going to be yes men to him. So I do take issue with that, that I've seen on Twitter before. Um, I don't think Ron Rivera is going to hire a yes man. And considering the fact that Herney's not even being interviewed gives me all the more reason to think that. So, Yeah, you make a good point, too, about Eric Stokes. Uh, I thought he was involved, but he wasn't. And really, the only thing to fall back for for Stokes is he was the director of college scouting when he was with the Panthers, and the Panthers drafts have just not been 
that great scouting-wise, or even really the logic they've done. So, you know, take what you can get from that. Um, but I'm v personally very interested in JoJo Wooden um, as a candidate, um, not just for his drafting, but also just how they handle free agency and all these other factors. And it'll be interesting to see who they end up with at the end, but do you, I think they have to make the decision relatively quickly because already by now, teams are starting their offseason. They've already started scouting college prospects, what little tape they have because of all these COVID opt-outs and stuff, um, and starting to get in. So they need to make that higher pretty quickly, and once they make that higher, they're going to define how our organization moves forward operationally in the front office sense. And also, there's going to be a lot of people probably canned. I think uh, JP Finley mentioned that uh, Kyle Smith is very likely out with the GM hire, and also that he thinks Ryan Cowden has a job, while Kime thinks it's uh, Martin Mayhew who has the job in the bag. So there's yeah. different opinions coming from the media uh, on who's going to be the GM, and also, uh, but the commonality is that Kyle Smith is going to be uh, gone. Yeah, that's that's most likely, and you know, it's kind of unfortunate to see a guy that's been brought up and moved up the ranks probably not going to be here. But at the same time, I'm not that concerned about it. I think there are other, well, for starters, I, I think there are better candidates externally than internally, and so I think it's good that we're going to hire somebody externally, most likely. Um, you know, it depends who we hire. I I like Ryan Cowden from the Titans. You know, some of their drafts have been really good. Some of them haven't been, especially this past year, like you mentioned. But you also have to take into consideration free agent acquisitions. Ryan Tannehill, Logan Thomas, uh, not Logan Thomas, uh, Logan Ryan, uh, Malcolm Butler. And, you know, they've put together a very good team there that's probably going to be contending for multiple years. And I would imagine that somebody like Cowden also plays a role in hiring, you know, Coach Vrabel. So there's... There's some good and some bad there. I think Cowden would be a very good hire. Martin Mayhew, that's a tough one because he started out when the Lions were 0-16. Like he took over on an interim basis in the middle of that year and drafted Matt Stafford. And they ended up becoming a playoff team a couple years with him there. And they've really just gone down the tubes ever since Martin Mayhew and Jim Caldwell got fired. So I, I think I could see the potential there, but I just, I think it's a risk. It's a risk and I don't want to take it with, with Mayhew. Um, so I, I like Jojo Wooden also, like you had mentioned, Nick Polk. I think Nick Polk is very similar to Rod Rogers, who we already have as like the salary cap guy. Um, Cause I was reading about Nick Polk and he doesn't have a background in personnel. His background is in like salary cap negotiation um, and, and that sort of thing. And we've kind of already got that covered in the front office. I don't know what Nick Polk adds exactly. I think it's cool that he's a JMU grad like all of us. That's pretty cool. But I think with Nick Polk, you'd actually see a reason to keep Kyle Smith around. If yeah, he he'd probably, you'd probably make Kyle Smith like the assistant GM, kind of like you have with Chris Ballard. And then Ed Dodds, who's like one of the best evaluators in the league, is like the assistant GM. Um, so you could have Kyle Smith in that role of being your head evaluator and, and, you know, keep him in his current role, make him assistant GM, whatever you do. There is that option. And maybe that's what they're considering. Maybe they're considering some other guys that are non-personnel 
guys to, you know, to keep Kyle Smith on long-term. Um, when you bring in a personnel, a different personnel guy to be your GM, um, unless he and Kyle Smith see eye to eye on most things, or, you know, they don't have to see eye to eye on everything, but they have to work well together. And that that's where it could be tough. Um, Cause when you have personnel guys are going to be disagreements and obviously that can be healthy to an extent. You need to have some disagreement, but um, a personnel guy coming in makes it less likely that Kyle Smith stays. But I do think that uh, I do think Kyle Smith is going to be running the draft. So there may not be immediate pressure to hire someone right away because most of the evaluations have been done and Kyle Smith is probably still going to head the meetings of the evaluators and they're going to prep. They're going to make the draft board. I think he's still going to be doing all that. So if a new GM comes in, he probably have a say, but I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he's going to be completely taking over until post draft. If that makes sense. Yeah, and no, that makes sense. Cause that you've you seen that around the NFL. What the GM may do, the hired GM may be mainly just evaluating Kyle's process and the whole process. And from there looking at the good, looking at what needs to be improved. Um, and then from there, decisions are going to be made. So I don't even think there's a decision on Kyle Smith yet. I think it's going to depend on who gets hired and they're going to have a say in it. So. Damn, we're all going to look like we're all going to look like fools when Dan Snyder decides to become the GM. Yeah, he's been the GM for 21 years already. He just doesn't have the title. <laughs> Kyle Kyle Smith was the only one to talk up when uh, Dwayne, uh when he, Dan Snyder made that Dwayne Haskins selection. He's just like, "What the hell are you doing, Dan?" And it's like it was a miracle that he wasn't fired on the spot. And that's kind of why I have that soft spot for Kyle for actually oh, speaking yeah. up to the owner, which we've not had in coaches and GMs. In since apparently he, from what it sounded like, he stood up and started talking, but then he immediately like. It got to a point where he was like, "Okay, I can't say anything else because if I say one more thing, I'm gonna be out. I'm gonna be out like the door right now." Yeah. So he he restrained himself after an extent, but he he definitely, from what it sounded like, he was he was um, definitely standing on the table. God, in, it must be fucking miserable having all that work you do in the offseason, sending scouts over to overnight, staying at hotels, and like interviewing all these college prospects, and you're devising your big board, and then you finally like decide, like, all right, this is exactly how I view talent. And we've heard about his process, how he keeps like players in clusters and in terms of like what picks they're doing and like there's this color board like there's a lot put into his big board and the owner's like nah i like this guy i like his son i my son's high school (laughs) i think he's friends with my son or something and just like yeah i interviewed him personally at the combine we are taking this guy no matter what it's just like you he and you know dan Snyder hasn't even watched a game tape he's just like watches espn highlights and like yeah Dwayne haskins he he looks the part so bad, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, must be miserable working under that. And that's that's a whole thing with – I'd imagine that's a whole thing that Ron Rivera and Jason Wright have to fix, and that's going to take a lot of time because when you're working in that building, it must be miserable. And all this stuff coming out with the post um, about all the harassment stuff makes it even more miserable. Like, I can't imagine working in – that building but granted there, there are signs that that building, but 
There are signs it's getting better. Look at all the candidates they've hired that do want to work here as a GM. And we've seen the turnaround that Ron Rivera has started. Uh, I think we've kind of dragged on on the GM talk, though. <laughs> do you think we could go on a little bit further? Nah, bro. I want to hear you all talk more about the GM. <laughs> all right. All right, guys, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, talk about uh, basketball here real quick. Um, well, COVID is apparently threatening the Wizards season. Um, they're three and eight. They're second to last Eastern Conference. And on top of they had yep. from the last podcast episode. <laughs> they did. Yeah. Uh, but the reason COVID is threatening is not because of that. Um, it's because nine of the players are currently positive. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, it's a testament that for how, like, they already have more players have had COVID this season than the Washington football team had the entire last season. Well, the Washington football team only had two players have coronavirus. Exactly. And That's pretty, one of them, one that of them is, was Matt I, who was on IR, so he wasn't even, like, with them, right? Yeah. That's wild. That like, is, I don't know if it's impressive. That, well, it's impressive the Washington football team was able to do that, but it also, it's a disappointment that the Wizards have already had nine. That's really speaks to the training and coaching staff and like what they're doing to keep players separated following protocols. Cause I, I know that the uh, conditioning staff with WFT, they made it a special point because like their head coach could die if they didn't have like go through all the protocols and like be as safe po as possible. And it doesn't seem like the wizards have taken those same precautions. And also you just have a lot less people uh, that could that player wise that could get uh, infected by the virus, and you still have nine players getting infected and being COVID positive, and it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, it's 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 pretty wild that nine players have COVID and more are probably going to get it throughout the course of the season. And that's uh, more than the Nats. I think that's more than the Nats. Wizards, uh, Nats, Washington football team, and Capitals have all had combined. <laughs> how many? How many? How many? How many? How many cases? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caps had zero because they were in the bubble. But how many cases? Like, like did they? Did the Nats actually have? Because the Soto one was a fake positive. We all know that they did that to keep us down and prevent us from fraud. Fraud. Prevent us from having a good start to our season. But uh, what, what were the actual like legitimate numbers when it comes to COVID for the Wizards or not Wizards Nat, uh, Nats? Um, I think it was three players. I want to say. Are you including the Are you including the fake one from Soto or no? Including the Soto one, yes. I think it was three. So two legitimate cases and then one fake case. <laughs> um. All right. Uh, a couple other things coming out of Wizards camp. Um, they released uh, Anze Pusniks. Uh, and a couple other things is, uh, well, uh, there's some rumors about Beal being a huge trade target, especially as uh, we're currently in the season for big trades, given the, given the hard of the Brooklyn Nets news. So uh, trade could happen. Do you guys see Beal being used as a trade piece to get some other big name player, or is Beal like one of those keep him in DC at all costs? I think he's a keep him in DC at all costs. You don't trade Russell Westbrook and then throw the season or for Russell Westbrook and then throw ship the season down the river after two weeks of games. 
I think it if a trade is initiated, it's initiated by Beal not wanting to be in Washington anymore. I, I don't know. Like, if they're that bad and we're at the trade deadline, I think we might see, but... Yeah, I, I don't think we. I, I, you're probably right. Like we don't see the trade unless Beal is like, "Hey, I want to be traded." Yeah, that that and I think Beal would only say that if he knows that Scott Brooks got extended or something. Like he has inside deets on that, and it's like, well, I don't really want to stay with a team that clearly doesn't know how to manage a basketball team that wants to win championships. Yeah, their 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 next game supposedly is Friday. Uh, against the Bucks, uh, they were supposed to play on Wednesday against the Hornets, but due to contract tracing, they did not have the uh, eligible number of players to uh, t- to play. So they're so they're postponing that game. So the next one they're playing is Friday. Uh, is their next at schedule. the earliest? At the earliest, that's their that's their next scheduled game, and that is against the Bucks. So. Let's hope that the Wizards can figure this out because, frankly, this is – I mean, first and foremost, we don't want anyone to get COVID. Um, and that sucks that a lot of – all these players got COVID. Um, but also, you know, you – you know, I'm, I'm sure these guys want to play and it sucks. So let's hope that, you know, they can eradicate COVID uh, from their from their camp. Okay. Want to end things on a little bit of a lighter note with uh, baseball. Um, seeing some news coming out of Nats Park, mainly just revolving some former players um, and certain targets that we were going after. So we'll just run down some of the lists. So Kurt Suzuki, he signed with the Angels. Uh, best of luck, Suzuki, reuniting with uh, with 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 Rendon over there. Uh, DJ LeMahieu, who, who the Nats were thinking about targeting, uh, is staying with the Yankees. He just signed a, I believe, a ninety million dollar extension um, to stay uh, in in New York. And uh, Kluber also signed with the Yankees. So, uh, yeah, the Yankees are taking all of our all of our targets. That, that's 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 nice of them. Oh, I mean, I guess if you count Lemayhew, <laughs> no, I, I never, I never, I never counted Lemayhew as a target because he was like stupid expensive, and I definitely would not have uh, not There's have not a spot for him. Yeah. On the team. <laughs> That too. About to bump somebody off of the team, which would be weird. And Kluber would, Kluber would have been nice, but uh, yeah. So, is there anyone that uh that you that you see the Nats going after? I, is is I believe JT Romuto still on the on the market? Yes, but um, the Phillies did make him a pretty big offer. Yeah, the Nats did let Suzuki walk though, which makes me think that. They might be going after him. They need somebody else, I think, um, to be in the middle of the order. Who's, who's the Who's the current starting catcher? Gomes. Young Gomes. Okay. They yeah. need somebody else. So. Yanimal. Yanimal. Um, but yeah, they need a right-handed bat in the middle of the order. To uh, really cement it, I think. I hope. Yeah. So or in the outfield. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it seems like they need to get someone like a JT Romuto on the team. Um, I don't know who else. I mean, would you consider trading for uh, uh, Chris Bryant? I I, I, I know we've, we've gone over that quite a bit. Um, but just seeing seeing as who's left out of the big name free agents, I think I think Romuto is something you ha- someone you have to go after. 
Yadier Molina is available too, but he's up there in age. He's 38. Wilson Ramos is available. Which <laughs> is like, no. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world. It'd be cheap. Yeah. Uh, Robinson Chirinos from the Mets. Uh, oh, but he's also up there in age, 37. Jason Castro from San Diego. Uh, yeah. Cheap options. It's basically you're going to go for a cheap leaguers. guy, a cheap older guy, or a real Muto. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of minor leaguers too, which I don't know any of them. Um, if you're going to go minor leaguer, might as well just call up Rowdy Reed, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, we actually we actually maintained one of our minor leaguers, Wellington Castillo. Oh, right okay. Yep, we talked about that. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this, is, this is exactly why we're going to pick up former Matt and current free agent Matt Weeders. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. God, no. That guy's never going to see the light of day in the MLB again. God, that was a miserable. It's just like flashbacks. <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Uh, okay, on a, yeah, on a serious note, uh, I am all in favor try to try to chase JT Romuto. Um, but, yeah, would if there's anyone else, is there anyone else you think that we could target? I mean, there's still the outfielders. Like, I'd like them to sign one of the star outfielders that we've kind of talked about in the past. Um, but it doesn't. I don't know. It's hard. They need a right-handed bat, no matter where they come from. I think to be hitting like six or or fifth or fourth, they really need that. They have too many lefties right now. Yep, for sure. Definitely get a right-handed bat in that lineup would work well. Um, all right. Well, some other news from coming out of Nats Park is that the Nats avoided arbitration with uh, our two big, our two big stars, Trey Turner and Juan Soto. Turner got a thirteen million dollar deal, and Soto got eight and a half million. So great avoided arbitration. Um, still, still speaks to when their contracts come up as to how much we're going to be able to pay them. So Happy for Soto. Soto got his first big. Big salary in the league this year. I was actually so. expecting him to make a lot more this but, year. You uh, thought, thought, yeah. Well, I, I think, well, I think just the fact that, that 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 Turner made Turner made more, which is you know not to downplay Trey Turner at all. He is absolutely fantastic. But uh, that is how close they are to their contracts. Like when you're when you're when you have more years left in arbitration, you don't make as much. I I, I don't know if that's a standard or what that is, but. If it were like just market value, I think Soto would be making way more. But part of the fact is that because Turner is so close to the end of his arbitration that he's been making like kind of like eight. I think he made what like seven million last year. Something like that works. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Soto's arguably arguably approaching top ten batter status. So yeah, you would figure he. Uh, he would, he would, he would, he would, yeah, I, I, I think so too. But there's definitely some people that are like, ah, he's not, he's not tenured enough, or you know, uh, there, there's like some, there's some obvious names that will go above him, like like Mike Trout and Christian Yelich. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, Soto getting only eight and a half million is is surprising. I guess they're not going the route of giving him a big contract now, um, while he's still cheap. And then going forward, and they're just going through the regular route of a 
like arbitration and then going through that. I guess my only point is like I've seen some of the salaries of these like really, really good players early in arbitration, like Mike Trout and Harper, like they were stars right away, but even they were getting nowhere near what they were worth each year in arbitration. It wasn't until it was like their last couple of years in arbitration where they were making like 20 to 30 million a year. Um, so that's just, I think it's part of the process. I don't know if it's standardized that you're only supposed to make a certain amount in arbitration, but I actually thought Soto was making more than I, he made more in his what second full year of arbitration than I've really seen anyone else make. Wow. He's also the, you know, but he's also one of the best players. Soto. Yeah. So, I mean, he's more than earned it. He should be making more, but I think just based on the way arbitration works, I'm not surprised that's what he what he's making. If yeah, I mean, there's a kind of a, a price point, really, essentially. Um, and it changes year to year. But, yeah, they can make, like, a maximum amount, and the team can offer something, and the player offers something. And normally, normally the two sides come to an agreement before the arbitration process uh, begins, which is what happened this year, luckily enough. Um, but it can go to the arbitrator, and then they, they decide uh, how much they'll make. And yeah. a lot of the time, the arbitrator sides with the, the team. Yeah, I mean, and Soto's going to keep making more. He's got three more years of arbitration, like assuming he's, his level of play maintains. Yeah, two more. It, He's got 22, 23, and 24. He was, well, he was super, super two this year. Or not super two, the, whatever the, it's a, like a weird arbitration uh, thing. Uh, oh, well, yeah, R2, you're normally three. only eligible for arbitration for three years. I see, R, oh, I see ARB two, three, and four that are listed for 22, 23, and 24. So I guess they just let him be arbitration eligible for. One extra year? I don't know. Might have something to do with when he was called up because it was like in the middle of the year. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But yeah, he's going to keep making more. He's going to make probably double what he made this year, next year. So next year he'll probably make like 15 or something, 16, 17. Yeah, he'll probably make close to what's um, Turner made this year. Yeah, and then in his last two years of arbitration, he'll be making 20-plus. Like it's gonna it's gonna go up pretty exponentially uh, the final few years of arbitration. That's what I've seen with the with guys like Harper and Rendon. How do uh, season-ending injuries play into arbitration? Like if it's just the same number, the next like guaranteed. Like what if it's like something that'll actually like hamper them going forward? Like if yeah, I don't know. I don't know really what the example I was going for, but like a lingering quad injury. Because quad injuries are like pretty significant, usually in the NFL and other leagues, that it pretty much ruins your career afterwards. No, I mean arbitrations are <laughs> like they can always like release them, and then they're not making any money. But I doubt a season-ending injury, especially for how cheap arbitration players normally are. Like Soto is kind of an anomaly, and Turner is kind of an anomaly because they're so good and so young. Um, but like arbitration timer is starts as soon as, um, you get your first MLB, um, start. So as long as you're in the MLB 
and like you've been on the team, that timer continues to go up. Even if you are injured. And with that, we will wrap things up. Thank you guys for listening to the DC Sports Brain Trust. My name is Rune. I've been your host and moderator. Joined, as always, by three of my good friends and the best damn sports analysts around, Chris, Nick, and Rahul. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. We'll have links to that in the description of the episode. Until then, keep supporting DC Sports. Hope to see you all next week.